You're listening to a live service from Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Romans chapter 3, if you would please with me. The Apostle Paul, and we're going to read 10 verses, 11 verses tonight, which is a lengthy text, but it's important that we get not just the context, but the text. Starting in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law. This had to be a shock to the Jews of Paul's day to hear him say this, righteousness without the Mosaic law. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. It's become obvious. It's been open. It's plain to see. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And it's true then that the old covenant told us that this time would come. Verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. So righteousness from God comes only as a result of an individual placing their faith in Jesus Christ. And there is no difference. There is no other path to God. There is no other way to God other than through faith in Jesus Christ. For why? All have sinned. There's not a one of us under the sound of my voice or watching on Facebook or any other device listening that can say, I have never sinned. That's an impossibility. We're born a sinful creature and we are sinners in need of a savior. But then even after we're saved, the Bible goes on to say that we continually, look at the next clause, come short of the glory of God. That has nothing to do with your stature. That is everything to do with how you live. Even as a Christian, no matter how sincere you are, no matter how long you've lived for God, you're still not up to his status. Can I get an amen? So we were sinners in the past and we still fall short. But now look at verse 24, being justified freely. The term justified is tossed in here, and we're going to talk about that. And justified freely. God's legal declaration of your innocence is freely given. Not to some, but to all. So there is only one qualifying process, and that is faith through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then when we get to verse 25, I want you to notice whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, that is the word covering, uh, and it indicates really the mercy seat uh, in the Old Testament uh, shadows and types of Christ that covered the Ark of the Covenant. The propitiation, watch this, through faith, or set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Now, we're not placing our faith in the red blood of Jesus. We're placing our faith in the fact that that was shed on Calvary. So this is a particular uh, induction for you and I to not only have our faith in Christ, but to have our faith as its object in the propitiation that covers the mercy seat for us through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Verse 26, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just 
and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. God is the just one, not you or I. But when we place our faith in Christ, then he gives us this righteousness that we don't deserve. And it's this righteousness that we don't deserve called justification that allows a human being to have a relationship with God. Nothing else. Not what we do. At no point in time is it about, is it just about what we do. What we do is important. We'll talk about that this weekend. But if we get this out of order, if we put this somewhere other than where it needs to be, if this is not the foundation of your relationship with God, ladies and gentlemen, we're in trouble. Verse 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. It's not allowed. By what law? Because Paul's opponents would say, oh, we've got to do this and we've got to do that or we've got to keep the law of Moses. And he says, is it the law of works? No, but by, watch, the law of faith. The law, it is a constant like gravity. It's a part of God's plan we must understand. It's the law of of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision or the Jew by faith and uncircumcision, the Gentile, through faith. Do we then make void the law? Did the law of Moses, should it be just thrown out? Because we're now operating by faith. No, we need to understand that the law of Moses gave us a form. And we're going to talk about this this weekend. He gave us a form. But that form didn't have anything in it. It was simply a type and a shadow. So the form, if you're going to build something, if you're going to pour concrete, gentlemen, you need to put up a form. And then on the inside of that you pour the concrete. You fulfill or fill up the form. So moving from the Mosaic law and leaving it behind, the Mosaic law is not my covenant. But I do not throw away the form that it established. And one of the purposes of the law of Moses was not just to give us a form, but to drive us to the need for a Savior. To drive us to the truth that we can't Keep up with the character and nature of God. That in and of ourselves, we're of all things most miserable. So by living by the law of faith, we don't abolish the law. We find then we take that form and we bring it into a new covenant and we fill it. So instead of abolishing the law, God forbid, we establish it. Not that it's our covenant. But we recognize the purpose for the law to give us the shadow and the nature and the character of God. But ladies and gentlemen, we have a greater revelation of God today than the Mosaic law. His name is Jesus. And he is the last and final and highest revelation of the nature and character of God. And it's to him that we bow. And it's to him and from him that we learn. But we need to operate always in the law of faith. The law 
of faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity we have to teach, to preach. I thank you, Lord, for all that you have done and all that you have accomplished in our hearts and lives. Father, while some are well acquainted, this message must be preached. It must be taught. It must be embraced. It must be on the mouth of every preacher consistently. It must be as the prerequisite to relationships. So help us, Father, tonight to establish it in the minds and hearts of your people. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Amen. And amen. When we understand and embrace the law of faith, it establishes not just how we enter into relationship with Christ, but how that relationship is maintained. And this law is not a law of works, but it is yet a law. It's a law, a constant, really. Uh, we could say that the law of gravity is a constant. It's always the same. If you drop something, boom, it goes to the ground. So the law of faith has to be the one constant in your life that you never let go of. You, you need to not only understand it, but you need to see how, how, how important it is. Your, your faith in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us in, in, around redemption is the most precious attribute, no, the most precious asset that you have. Nothing more is more precious because without this, you have no relationship with God. This establishes you as a member of God's elect. A chosen part of the new covenant under the old covenant, only Jews could be a part of God's elect. Those that wanted to be a part of God's elect had to come in under the covenant community and keep the law of Moses and follow strictly the laws that separated and established them as a unique and separate people. But now the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that the cross of Calvary has destroyed the enmity between the Jew and the Gentile, making us all one in Christ. Something that could have never happened before the cross is now available. And that is when we place our faith, we enter into a brand new covenant that consists of both Jew and Gentile, male and female, child and adult. It matters not. Ladies and gentlemen, the only way to enter into relationship with God is through faith, through faith. Through faith, and if you allow circumstances and situations to tear your faith away from this wonderful person, this Son of God, and the truths of what He did for us, then you are standing in very precarious position. Paul called this battle the good fight, the good fight of faith. We fight to believe. We fight to believe. If America ever needed Christians that understand faith and grace, it's now. We need our, our, our believers to fight and believe, fight to believe, fight to believe. Not in ourselves, but in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. 
I've told it before, but I'll, I'll share it again. If you've heard it, please excuse it. But uh, it always comes to mind because the situation was so impacting on me personally. When I first started my ministry, I worked in prison ministry and traveled to prisons all around the area of Baton Rouge. And I got a call, or maybe it was a note, but I think it was a call from one of the mothers in the church who said, my son has been arrested and he's in the East Baton Rouge Parish Prison and would you, would you please go see him? And I said, well, yeah, I'll be glad to go and visit with him. That's what I was doing. So uh, that next day I uh, went down and, and uh, I'll make up a name, call him Eddie Smith. I went down to see Eddie in the jail. And uh, what had happened is that Eddie had gotten a New Testament while he was in the jail cell. Listen, go on, and I know that you've been involved with prison ministries, and it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity because a lot of times people are broken. And the circumstances, even their own foolishness, has prepared them to hear something they weren't ready to hear before. And Eddie got in there, and he saw a New Testament and started to read it, and his mother was a devout Christian. She was a member of Family Worship Center. She loved God. He'd seen it all his life, but there, all by himself in the jail cell, he read what he needed to read. I don't know exactly what it was. Maybe it was John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth, oh, good, yeah, whosoever believeth faith on him shall not perish, but have everlasting, and he got saved. So by the time I got there, I wasn't going to see somebody that needed to accept Christ as their Savior. I was going to talk to a brand new born-again Christian, and they're exciting to be. And so the guard took me into the little uh, interrogation room is what it was. And it was a horrible little room, you know, five by five and cockroaches climbing up the walls and cigarette butts all over the place. But Ed, Eddie was just a smiling away as a brand new believer. Listen, there's nothing like getting saved. There's nothing like becoming a new creation and everything in you change. It doesn't matter your environment then because you're different on the inside. And so we sat there and talked for a while and I could tell that Ed had truly had a relationship with God and I was a, running, running out of time, was going to have to leave. And he said, hey, he said, you know what? I, uh, I, I hear people talking about this baptism with the Holy Spirit. What is that? Can I have that? And I said, well, yeah, absolutely. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is when God bestows power for service, where you can experience a supernatural help to do the work of God. And it, it doesn't save you. You're already saved. The Spirit of God lives in you already. He's already produced changes in you and is already talking to you. So you're not asking for the Spirit's entrance to do what he does at salvation. You're asking for power for ministry. And he said, well, can I have that? And I said, yeah, all we have to do is ask. He said, good, let's ask. So we're standing there, and I'm about ready to go, and the guard is all about ready to go. And I, he says, how do I get it? So I went through the simple explanation of we pray. And when we pray, deep down on the inside of your innermost being, you're going to sense something. And when you do, it'll be a language you've never heard before. And when you hear that, then it's down here. You have to respond to it. God's not going to take your tongue and make you talk. You've got to hear it down here and speak it. And he said, okay. 
And I laid hands on him and said, Father, in the name of Jesus, fill Eddie with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Eddie, in 10 seconds, was, came through to the baptism with the Holy Spirit, was dancing all around the table in that little room. And the guard was knocking on the door saying, hey, I need to, I need to take him back uh, to, his, to his cell block. And I'm saying, okay, you can have him. Ed never stopped. He just hands up in the air, speaking in tongues all the way down the hall. I say that to say this, that I know Ed was saved and spirit-filled. He was transferred then into Hunt Correctional Center, which was near Baton Rouge, and it's where I had a Wednesday night program. I was in Angola on Tuesday night, Hunt Correctional on Wednesday night, Dixon on Thursday night, revivals all over the state on Friday, and Sunday morning, Hannah and I would go into the ladies' prison. So Wednesday, I, Ed got transferred there, got into our group, and obviously the call to minister was there, and the call to uh, become a part of the, and, and to teach and to preach, it was there. And so Ed became my inmate pastor, and I counted on him, because sometimes those of you that work prisons, you understand you can't always get in at the time you'd like to because of some kind of security problem. So I told Ed, I said, well, you have the first half an hour of our services every Wednesday and teach on the word of God. And that way things will already be warmed up by the time I get there. And so for the next few years, Ed was our teacher filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the word of God. I'd go in and see him on visitation twice a month. And as a spiritual advisor, talk to him. He got to know his family, his his wife moved from Guam and came into uh, Family Worship Center, and uh, he had 11-year sentence that he had to that he had to serve. And most men that go into jail, their 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 family, uh, it's just such a pull. And I'm not putting judgment on anybody, but stats tell us that after two and a half years in jail, most people's family grow weary and it's gone. It's done. But Eddie's family was just the opposite. And Eddie then began to utilize leather making as a way to make money. In the prison, you could get into the shop where there's leather and woodworking, and you made belts and uh, wallets and different things out of leather and the tools that were there. And, and then you could bring it up to the visiting shed, and if people saw it there and liked it, they would buy it, and that was a way that you could make money. Well, Ed not only became a, a, one of those guys that was preaching the gospel, uh, but he was also blessed and God blessed the leather working. I mean, he started making money and he started to have income from the sale of that stuff that was up in the uh, root. Now, you know, whenever God's blessing, the devil's always going to come by and try to steal away what God has done. So if you're here tonight and things are going your way, uh, tie a rope on and hang in there, baby, because it's about to, at one point or another in your life, you're going to have some rough sledding. Oh, Brother Larson, that's a bad confession. Honey, that's just foolishness that you speak to me. That's just the truth. Being a Christian and knowing proper doctrine doesn't alleviate life. You don't get to leave the planet. You work through the things that we encounter. And they got jealous, those around him and those that weren't Christian in the leather shop in the woodworking area. They got jealous of Eddie. And there was a guard there that disliked him because he was a Christian. Imagine that. 
And the ones that were jealous, along with the ones that didn't like him, decided that they would make something up to remove his privileges, and they accused Eddie of causing an insurrection. Well, it was all a lie. But when you have an inmate by a guard and other witnesses accused of insurrection, they don't play because prisons are all about security. And so Eddie lost his privileges to be in the leather shop. He lost his privileges for his visits, which he had with his wife, and they put him in chains and they threw him in the hole. Doesn't get to see anybody. And the day he went into the hole, his mother died. And she was his backbone, his stature of faith. Circumstances can rob you of your joy, and they run the risk of robbing you of your faith. You can be called of God, you can be all set to go forward, you can be doing everything, and then that thing happened. Sometimes we cause it. Other times we can't even see it coming. But it happens. And it struck Eddie as so unfair and where is God and it's dark and he's in the hole and I, it was three weeks before I could get in to see him and that was because I was a spiritual advisor. When I finally got to see him, he was wrapped up in chains as if he had tried to commit insurrection and caused a riot. But I could tell that something had changed. In that time frame, that was dark. Ed lost his faith. Now we're saved by faith. So if the devil can take your faith from you, especially through circumstances, you can lose it. I am not a once saved, always saved preacher. I'm not a eternally insecure person that says every time you sin you fail and you go to hell that's not that's not the gospel but I tell you that if you don't protect the very greatest asset that you have you'll fail Eddie's family had stuck with him and he was just two years of getting out but he never was the same when he finally got back into population he began to gamble and that was one of the first things we saw then he stopped coming to the church, and then he even called me. He said, I'm kind of busy this weekend. Don't come for a visit. When an inmate doesn't want a visit, that's a problem. He just didn't want to see me because he didn't want to talk about the Lord. By the time he got out two years later, his wife embraced him, and she had waited for him for 11 years, far beyond the two and a half that most will. And within three months after he was out, he was back on cocaine. And a few weeks after that, he was stealing to supply his habit. He was down in the crack houses and the meth houses, and they violated him, and he went back inside.
I saw Eddie probably three years ago. He had finished all 22 years of his sentence, and there was no change. The faith was still absent. And I wish I didn't have to tell that to you, but I tell you to that as a warning. The thing that hits you, that event that you can't control, that attack of your faith that makes you think that God is unfair, is far greater than just the sorrow and the hurt and the pain of the event. I'm not saying those events aren't sorrowful or painful or hurtful, but I'm saying that Satan is after your faith while God is ready to stand sure to secure your faith through the tears, through the heartbreak, through the heartache, and to warn you that faith can be lost. I watched this man. I watched him get saved. I watched him filled with the Holy Ghost. I watched him in ministry and I watched him become something other than a believer. And as a pastor, I've been with Brother Swigert now for 30 years. As a pastor for 30 years, I can tell you story after story. I'm not going to go any further, but I say that to you tonight because I want you to know that even though you sit here tonight thinking, that'll never be me, that's exactly what I've come to try to warn you against. Because it could be you. Some of you may be sitting here tonight already thinking, I'm going to quit. I can't handle this. This is too hard. This circumstance, it isn't fair. God hasn't been fair to me. And circumstances aren't fair. Life isn't fair. But the one thing that stands always true is that while God is, and for whatever reason, has allowed those circumstances in the life of his elect, he's also promised to travel with you through them. He'll walk with you through the water. He'll walk with you through the fire. He'll walk through you with the poverty. He'll walk with you through the death. He'll walk with you through the politics. He'll walk with you. He'll never, ever leave you. But the one thing that he requires of us is the one thing that everybody on the planet can do. And it's not follow the law of Moses. It's believe. Faith. The Bible teaches us that faith, then, is the most important aspect of your relationship with God because there is no other way of entering relationship with God. You place your faith in Jesus, who he is, the Son of God, his Savior, and God then enters you by the power of the Holy Spirit and makes you a new creation. Transforms you from what you were to something brand new. You won't be the same, and everybody's change is a little bit different. You won't see anything necessarily on the outside. We'll all be just as ugly as we were before, but maybe with a little better disposition. God comes inside as a result of our faith. And this faith has to be a constant in you. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
without faith. So God has looked down at humanity and said, this is something when everything can do. So when the gospel is preached, the response of hearing that gospel should be that that individual says, yes, I see my need for a savior. I see my need for righteousness. And I'm not righteous in myself, but if I place my faith in Jesus, preacher, if you're preaching the gospel, you're going to keep telling people you need to place your faith in Jesus. You need to place your faith in the one who came to represent heaven and God the Father. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they speak of me. And you need to come to me that you might have life. So there's no one else in whom you may place your faith. Faith has to be exhibited towards Christ and you see him as the savior of the world. So the law of faith says that you must place your faith in Jesus. You must place your faith in Jesus. You must place your faith in Jesus. When you do that, God then declares you legally innocent of all charges. That, my friend, is called justification. When you place your faith in Jesus alone, then justification becomes yours. Verse 24 says, being justified freely by his grace. So that means that you're justified. To be justified, it, man is, if up and down is right, man's way over here. No way to have a relationship with a God that is upright. You're out of alignment. You ever tried driving a car that's out of alignment? Our lives are out of alignment with God. We're not lined up with God as human beings. No way. But when you place your faith in Jesus... God takes that one that's out of alignment and lines him up with God. So justification isn't the end, it's the beginning. Justification aligns you with the God who wants to have a relationship with you. And that alignment can only come when your faith is in Jesus and what he's done for you. We'll get to that. So it's in Jesus. That, so that alignment is yours if your faith is in Christ. You don't lose it unless you lose your faith. You're justified. Now, several things about this that needs to be answered. Justification, again, is a declaration of your innocence. It aligns you with God. But some have taken it to think, well, if I'm lined up with God and I'm justified, then it doesn't matter how I live. And Paul dealt with that true. Justification doesn't give you the right to fail or the right to embrace sin. Sin is wrong. 
You're in alignment with God because of your faith, but your sin is still wrong if you're trying to hold on to it. Your sin can be a destructive force against the very uh, essence of your faith, but justification is not something that allows you to keep on sinning and sinning and sinning no matter what, but justification will always allow you who are still believing to get back up after you fail. See, justification, and, I, and my understanding of what I've just said in the law of faith, justification says, when I fall short, when I do the wrong thing, when I, my Curtis Hutchinson quote, bite off a big piece of stupid, when I do the wrong thing, whether anybody sees it or it's just me and God, the worst thing that can happen then is that your faith comes under great attack. I know none of you have ever experienced this because none of you here have ever failed. But when you fail God, I read this in a book, when you fail God, it's hard to believe that he wants anything to do with me. How could I do that? I told him yesterday I'd never do it again. And six hours later, look at me. And Satan comes along and says, yeah, how could you do that? You said you weren't going to gossip. We'd almost have to have an operation on the tongue, you know, cut it out to stop. And there you were again, talking about somebody else in an unpleasant manner and demeaning their character. And there you are again. And then the Holy Spirit convicts and the preacher preaches. And you go, oh, justification says you haven't lost your alignment. You've just gone off a little out of kilter. And you can keep that alignment by confessing your sin and keeping your faith in Christ because he is faithful and just to forgive us. So justification isn't our ability to remain sinful. It's our ability to rise up out of our failures and keep walking with God in proper alignment. Oh, Brother Larson, you're preaching a sinning religion. I'm sorry that's all that we have because that's what we are. Excuse me. Amen, Brother Larson. Preach on, brother. For all have sinned and constantly come short of the glory of God. If faith doesn't give us rightness and alignment with God and allow us to get back up, Then it's, then we're out. We're done. Faith in Christ and justification then allows God to have a relationship with a sinful group of stiff-necked, hard-hearted, hard-to-talk-to people like you and me. Amen, Brother Lars. But justification is a result of our faith justified freely. Then thirdly, verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation 
through faith in his blood. As I mentioned, as I read the text, and I tried to comment on it as I traveled through it, because I never know if I'll get to it or not in the text, in the message, but propitiation literally means covering. God covers his people. By the way, God is the only one God enough to cover us. Man can't be your covering. Nothing man offers can be your covering. Propitiation is the covering. And Paul uses the type and shadow from the law of the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the top, the gold top of the box of the Ark of the Covenant that lived or resided, if you will, in the Holy of Holies. And it was one piece of gold and two cherubim beaten and looking down on the mercy seat. And God told Israel when they built the tabernacle and later the temple that he would reside between the cherubim above the mercy seat. And in the box below the mercy seat was a copy of the law. And a jar of manna and, and, and Aaron's bob, uh, bud, uh, rod that budded, bud that rotted, yeah, rod that, yeah, Aaron's rod that budded. And once a year, the high priest, a type of our new covenant high priest, would offer up a sacrifice for himself first and come in and put the blood on the mercy seat and go back out offer up a sacrifice for the people, come back in. And it, this was the day of atonement. And he would put the blood for the people on the mercy seat. Once for himself, secondly for the people. The day of atonement was once a year. One time a year. And for an entire year, all of God's covenant people were covered. You need to grasp that. The day of atonement was the day of the sacrifice for the nation. The smaller sacrifices that people would offer during the year were sacrifices by and large under the law that they had to offer when they sinned. So the one sacrifice was for all those in covenant. Good for a year. Good for a year. God says, I'm staying in alignment with you for a year because of the blood of the high priest's sacrifice. And that's why when Balaam says to Balak, you know, I can't curse these guys. I can't. And he says this in a prophetic utterance. He said, I don't see an iniquity in Jacob. I don't see any perverseness in Israel. Are you kidding me? These are the guys that are roaming after Moabitess women. They're grumbling and complaining and all that. And yet God says, I don't see any iniquity in Jacob. I don't see any perverseness in Israel. How can he say that? Because of the day of atonement and the blood of the covering that was offered up as a type of a sacrifice that would come later. 
And this sacrifice that would come later, which all of this typified, would never, would never have to be offered up again. Because while the high priest of old under the old covenant and the type and the shadow offered up a sacrifice that brought everyone in covenant with God and kept them right for a year, our high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, placed his blood, if you will, on the high, uh, on the high places of heaven. And he did it once for all. Amen. Never to have to do it again. So when Paul says that there was a propitiation through faith in his blood, he's pointing us directly to the event of Calvary. Using the type of the Old Testament symbol and saying this outline was fulfilled by Christ who died on Calvary and filled up to the top the outline of the Day of Atonement. And you know, when the form is, uh, has been used and the foundation is there, you can tear off the form and start using the foundation. Okay, unless you pour concrete, you probably didn't get that. But the whole process of it is, is that we now have the foundation filled up with Christ. And we're told, watch, we're told to place our faith in the propitiation, the blood that was shed on Calvary. So now in Paul's exhortation about the law of faith, he says, you need to have your faith in Jesus and you need to have your faith in what he has done. Faith in the person of Christ brings you justification, but faith in the propitiation, faith in the covering, faith in the fact that you're covered, faith in the fact that you're not thrown away when you fail, faith in this all as a result of because of what Jesus did for us at Calvary. And so my faith is in the shedding blood. My faith is in the shedding blood. My faith is in the propitiation. I see that what Jesus did for me at Calvary, not just who he was, but what he did, I see it. And I'm called here unto the law of faith that sees the person of Christ and the work of Christ. And it becomes my propitiation. And Paul says, this is the law of faith. Not a law of works. The very foundational principle of your life in Christ and your life as a Christian has to be maintained at all times. Faith in the person, faith in the blood that was shed on Calvary. That's your responsibility. That's the law of faith. What is your faith in tonight? Is your faith in what you do? Do you think you're right with God today because of your performance? Well, I haven't blown it lately, so I'm good. The only reason you're good, wish I had, good, is because you've been aligned with God through faith. And he doesn't throw you away. Your propitiation greater than the day of atonement doesn't last just for a year. It's forever. But it's your faith in Christ that gives you this forever. And now I'm justified. 
What is your faith in tonight? Did you wake up this morning and say, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he did for me because what he did on Calvary opened the door for me to be justified. If I fail, I know that instead of bringing sacrifices like the old covenant people did, the type and the shadow, I simply say 1 John 1 and 9, forgive me for my failure. The type and the shadow of that was taking the sacrificial system into effect and bringing your lamb or your turtle dove or whatever it was that would pay the price for your sin. But underneath the law, there were some sins that couldn't be forgiven. It was just death. Adultery, death. Cursing your mother or your father, death. Look out, teenagers. Death. There was no sacrifice for some sins under the law, and most of the sacrifices listed were for unintentional sins, not even willful sins. But because of your faith in Christ, there's not one failure you will ever encounter that can rob you of your justification as long as your faith is in Christ and the propitiation He has paid for you. And again, I say, I'm not preaching, you can sin as much as you want. Justification and the law of faith lets you get up from your multitudinous failures in life, even after you accept him. He picks me back up and accepts me again. And so the law of faith is the very foundational law, centerpiece. And that faith is described as faith in Jesus. But not just the person, faith in what he did. So that I might be aligned with God. And understanding that, guess what? There's no room for boasting. That which was outlined in type and shadow by Christ is not thrown away. The empty box was formed as God's revelation came to us in the law, but the Mosaic law is not my covenant. I'm not saved to keep the Ten Commandments, not my covenant. Not my covenant. Not my covenant. Okay, well, oh, Brother Larson, you know, the moral law is the Ten Commandments. Good. Then what are you doing with the fourth one? Okay, now I see the wheels turning. Okay, tell us what the fourth one is. Yeah, keep the Sabbath. How are you going to... Well, we go to church on Sunday. Let me clear up something. I know the Reformers brought this in and thought it was right, but Sunday is not the Sabbath. It's never been the Sabbath. Sunday was never the Sabbath, couldn't be the Sabbath, because the Sabbath under Mosaic law was nightfall on Friday to nightfall on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. It always has been that. Couldn't be anything but. So if you're keeping, 
If you think you're responsible for the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses, and you've got to keep the Sabbath. And, oh, and by the way, there's another 613 other laws you have to keep. And you can't fail because if you do that, then, you know, you might have the old-fashioned Day of Atonement. But if you, didn't, if you can't take a lamb into Jerusalem and offer it on the altar, you know, we might just need to kill you. Not my covenant. Not my covenant. Not my covenant. Well, where does my, where does my ethical behavior come from? That's why you need to be here tomorrow. But the Mosaic covenant ends, and our responsibility to it ends at Calvary. Galatians 3.19 says that the law was given because of transgression until the seed should come. In the Gospels, he says the law was until John. And two Gospel writers use that term, the law was until John, because when Jesus came on the scene, Jesus became the final revelation of the nature and character of God. So whatever he said is your covenant. Makes you want to go back and look, doesn't it? Whatever he said. Oh, and not just him. Because while he was here on earth, people weren't quite ready to receive everything that he had to say. So he said it later through his apostles who wrote it down in the new covenant. So the old covenant is not your covenant, but the new covenant is. And it is your responsibility. And it's a huge responsibility. In fact, it's totally impossible for me to complete all the things that Jesus said I was supposed to be like. Impossible. Okay, 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 okay. Let me just throw this at you. Jesus said, we'll just go with two things he said. Just two. In the new covenant, Jesus said, here it is, guys. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. And he mirrored that for us. He showed us that. He didn't say one thing unless his father told him to say it. He didn't do one thing unless his father told him to do it. He didn't act anything out of any way at any time other than an explicit yielding to the will of God. How are you doing on that one? Every action, every thought, every word in submission to and in thinking about your heavenly father. Oh, and then there's the other one that he threw in there. Oh, this is my commandment, a new commandment I give you, that you love each other as much as, and in the same manner as I have loved you.
That's your covenant. It's getting awful quiet in here. That means that everything that we do is built off of our faith in Christ, but then the demand is that we love people the way that Christ loved people. How are you doing on that? Any arguments at your house lately? Arguments are usually caused because we don't get our way. They did something that I don't like. I wasn't pleased with how you acted because I wanted something else. Is that how we saw Jesus act? So while I'm not under the law of Moses, I am under the law of Christ. I fail miserably. But this one thing I do, I know that I am aligned with God. And I know that faith in Christ and what he's done for me, and I'll preach on this tomorrow, gives me a power source to begin the upward motion towards his likeness. He didn't just, under the new covenant, he doesn't just tell us, I'm getting ahead of myself here, you need to come back for this, but he doesn't just tell us what to do. He tells us how to get it done, and because on Calvary, he can supply for us the power to love God and love each other. But none of that is going to work. If you leave the base foundation of your walk with God, which is the law of faith, you trust in Christ and him crucified. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus will take things out of you and put things into you and power to change will be yours because of faith in Christ and him crucified. But he won't just take things out. He'll put things in like a willingness to obey God, a willingness to love God, and a willingness to love each other. But it has to be that your faith is in what he has done, or you won't have the power to love. You can't preach love without preaching faith in Christ and the cross. Because when you do, you leave the people helpless to get it done. Helpless and hopeless. But faith not only gets me ready for that action, it aligns me with God. And when I fall short in that, allows me to get back up and say, my day of atonement, my covering is Calvary. And that's an eternal covering. And I have a high priest that is ever living to make intercession just for me. So today, even though I'm far below what I need to be, I'm going to get up and I'm going to press. But I'm going to make sure that at the very foundation of my walk with God is my faith in Christ and what he did for me at Calvary. Amen? Would you stand with me, please?
There is no other way, singers, musicians, come on, to have a relationship with God outside of faith in Christ. When you understand what he's done for you, your justification process can remain intact if you fight the good fight of faith. And that's the first truth of the new covenant that you have to embrace. This, this weekend, tomorrow, we're going to talk about the law of Christ. We're going to look at the passages. We're going to see what it actually is. Tomorrow night, we're going to talk about the power source that's available to you. So if I could get you to come back, I would. But before we leave here tonight, I have to ask you, every head bowed, every eye closed, is there anyone here tonight that says, Brother Larson, I'm not right with God. I need to give my heart to Jesus. I need to get started. I want to begin. Maybe it's been that in the past you walked with God, but circumstances like Ed had, Eddie experienced have come and they're They've been so harmful and so hurtful that your eyes were blinded and your heart was struck and you were hurt and you were despairing and you just wanted to quit and you did. But I declare to you, as long as you're breathing, God won't quit on you. And he hasn't quit on you. He said, all that come to me, I will take. And I can't end this service tonight without giving that invitation for you to take advantage of the law of faith to have your walk with God renewed or a walk with God begun all of us are sinners and sin separates us from God but there's a remedy there's a remedy I plead with you tonight to take what God wants to freely give and if you have to start over, it's not a shame. The shame would be to walk away and not start again. The shame would be to never start at all. To not take advantage of this wonderful redemption plan of God that he has worked in Christ and through the Calvary that we understand. If you're here tonight and you would say, Brother Larson, pray for me. I need to get it right. Right where you are, I promise you, I will not embarrass you. Right where you are, just slip up a hand and say, pray for me. I see that hand, young man. I see the hand in the back. I see the hand in the back. I see the hand on the side. Are there others? Don't be ashamed. I see that hand, young man. I see that hand. I see that hand again. Faith in Christ can produce for you what you need. What you have to have, are there others? Pray for me, Brother Lawson. I need to get it right. I want to start again. God's the only one that can really give you a do-over. It's available by faith tonight. By faith, you can begin again. By faith, you can start all over. By faith, you can get back up. By faith, God will receive you. Is there another I won't embarrass you and I won't force you before we pray. But there's something that commits you to an open confession of what you've decided. And if you would be willing, I would love to pray with you. I'm going to pray with you whether you come down here or not. But if you just raise your hand, step out and come down to this front with me. 
Be brave. I know it'll be hard. But if you raised your hand, I want to pray with you. And I want others to know that you've made that decision. I'm not going to force you. You can stay right where you are. If what you meant is from the heart, God will honor it. I'd like the congregation to pray with me for those that raise their hands. Would you pray with me, please, all of us? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight in the name of Jesus. I'm sorry for my sin, the way that I've lived, and all the things that I've done. Tonight, I receive help from God by placing my faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who died for me on Calvary, but then rose from the dead, and as a result, is already to justify me right now. And by faith, I am washed, By faith, I am cleansed. By faith, I become a new creature in Christ Jesus. And I thank you now. And I praise you now for what you've done in me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? I don't know if I can express to you the need for your faith to stay connected to Christ. In these days, we're going to need it. We're going to be hurt. We're going to be confused. We're going to be attacked. Your faith has got to stand the test. Before we leave here tonight, um, I don't know, Jeff, do you have something in mind? You're playing something. Why don't you play something? I'm going to invite you down to this altar. Or if you'd like, right where you are, to stand. Let's spend a minute or two just worshiping and letting the law of faith and all that it meant come into our hearts, come into our lives before you leave. If you have to leave, I understand. But let's take just a minute. Let this message stick to our hearts. Draw me If you were blessed by this message, you can find us on Facebook at Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Our contact for prayer or donations is by mail, Faith Worship Center, P.O. Box 296, Porsche, Arkansas, 72457. Through Messenger or PayPal, you can find that link on Facebook also. Thank you and God bless you and your family.